Hi, this is Pastor Keith Joseph coming to you from First Baptist Church of Jackson, Georgia. Welcome to our weekly broadcast. We hope it speaks to you where you are in life. To learn more about our ministries, check us out at jacksonfbc.com. I want to tell you, your pastor is known as someone who loves pastors, loves the Word of God, loves to preach the Word. Uh, I worked with missions before, and uh, this is one of the most mission-minded, mission-going churches that I've ever been acquainted with. Well, uh, as normally when I go to a church, I don't have an assignment, but your pastor gave me an assignment, and so I'm grateful for that. And so I want to talk to you today about the fact that what sin steals, Jesus restores. Amen? And so we're going to talk about that this morning. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been robbed, uh, mugged, or burgled, or however you say it? Uh, just last summer, uh, a friend of ours, we went and rented his condo, and, and when we got in the car and was coming back home, we stopped at Providence Canyon in Lumpkin, Georgia, and my wife was looking for something in her purse and couldn't find it, and she said, well, it was in my purse, and she knows where the things are in her purse. Uh, but as I kind of thought about this, well, maybe you lost it or whatever, we began to look through the rest of our valuables, and we found that many of them were gone. Apparently, someone had come into the condo while we were gone and stolen several things. But you know, when you get robbed from, when someone steals something from you, there's this sense of you know, emptiness, anger, betrayal. All of these things come to mind. We felt violated, but we had an unknown thief that had violated us. You know, when we talk about Satan, in John 10.10, 10, he, he we are told that he is, a, he is an enemy. He is, a, he is someone that comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And what happened in the Garden of Eden is that he, he really destroyed all, not everything, but many things that God had in store for the human race. He had put us in a perfect environment. We were sinless. We had unhindered communion with God. We were able to enjoy marriage as it was intended to be without any kind of sin in our marriage. We would be able to work, and work would not be stressful or straining, but enjoying and satisfying. And so when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, everything changed. And all of a sudden, Satan the thief is stolen from us, and we are robbed, abused, and it ought to make us angry. When we look at the world today and we see the way the world's going, and it seems like, man, a big step away from God has been done within this past year, I want to tell you something, that this is where the world is going before Jesus comes back. That's why we've got to keep our hope in Jesus. And we have to understand, why does the world act like it is? It's because they're sinners, we're sinners, and we're separated from God without Christ. And as a result, we're always going to move away from God's best in our life. That's why we got to keep our hearts and minds focused on Jesus. That's why this morning, as the worship was being, was being led, man, don't y'all have a fantastic worship leader and, and band up here? I want, to, I want to tell you, I don't think I've been in a better church lately where you could just sense and experience God in this place. And that's a very, very incredible thing that, that we need to continue to pray for and, and continue to enjoy and uh, covet. Well, I know your pastor has been through Romans chapters 1 through 511, and in those passages, what you have found are two main things. Number one is that sin is universal. Whether it's the Jews or the Gentiles, every human being sins, and sin condemns us and separates us from God. 
But we have also discovered, and more recently in the later chapters, it is that Jesus Christ has come to justify us and to make us right with God so that we might have a new relationship with Him. And so when we get to Revelation, I mean Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, what we find there is we find a passage that, that uses Adam and shares about some facts about Adam and how Jesus Christ is the second Adam. That there was the first Adam that came, and, and that is how sin came into humanity. And then the second Adam comes, and he brings redemption to humanity. And so we either are following the first Adam, or we're following the second Adam. And so every one of us, even as a Christian, we find ourselves sometimes in the flesh, and we begin to follow that first Adam. We need to understand that we constantly need to keep our focus on the second Adam. And so as we open our hearts to his word, we find that the main, the main scripture here, I believe, is Romans 5.19 that says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, but by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through this passage and preach, and as I preach I'm going to read the scripture that has that goes along with the point that I'm making. And I'm going to share with you, uh, uh, in the span of human history, there are three words we need to key in on, and that is the word ruin, rescue, and reign. Those three things we find in this passage, and if you go all the way back to Adam and all the way forward to when Jesus returns and we reign with him, understand that this is three movements within the human race, and that Jesus Christ is the center of, of what can change in a person's life. And so the first thing we see when we talk about what sin steals, Jesus restores, is we see the ruin of Adam's sin. That sin invaded the world through the rebellion of one man. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who is to come. Let's pray. Father, we open our hearts to your word. Speak to us as we see the, the thought that Paul writes out through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Touch our hearts Draw us close, help us to see who you call us to be. We know that Satan is a thief and a liar, and we pray that everything that he has stolen, everything he has lied about, that you will come as the truth and the one who restores and redeems. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're talking about the ruin of Adam's sin, the ruin of Adam's sin. If you'll remember, God gave Adam one command in the Garden of Eden, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what was going to be the consequence of that if he did? He would surely what? Die. He would die. Now, from our perspective, we look back and say, well, he didn't die. Well, he did die spiritually, and he was going to die physically, and without redemption, he would die eternally. So in the story we find in, in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, that Satan comes to Eve, and he tempts and tries to beguile Eve. And what we find is that he comes in three ways. Satan questions God's command. He contradicts God's motive and he impugns God's goodness. 
Look at how he responds, how, how actually Eve and Adam respond to that. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And so this precipitates what happens in verse second, 7. It says, Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So what has happened here is that God had created this perfect environment. There was this communion with God. There was this perfect relationship between Adam and Eve. Work was going to be enjoyable and wonderful. There was no pollution, no sickness, no death. And because they broke the one command that God gave them, what happens is all of humanity is now cursed and all of creation is cursed. You know, I've been in many beautiful places and I look, maybe it's the Grand Canyon, or I, I go and I'm in the mountains, or I'm somewhere on a mission trip and I look up and I see something beautiful. And I just have to realize how much more beautiful would it have been without the curse. I love my wife. And we enjoy being together. We've been married 31 years. And in those 31 years, our marriage has grown. But how much more wonderful would it have been had there been no curse? And so we, lived in a, we live in a fallen world. You can explain almost everything bad that happens in this world. It's by choice, but it's because sin is in the world. And we are sinners because sin is in us. We don't become sinners because we sin. We, are, we sin because we're sinners. And that separation from God, it distorts everything. When people pursue lifestyles, we look and we say, that's wickedness. We need to understand that is the result of the curse and feeding the sin nature that we have. And so when we read about this curse in, in Genesis chapter 3, we won't read the whole passage. But what we find is that, that the serpent and the woman and the man is cursed. And then they are cast out of the Garden of Eden. And they're not allowed back in. And from that point on, there's sin. Even Cain, the next generation, kills, murders his own brother Abel. And so it starts, and we see that we really have inherited that sin over the generations. Well, Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 picks up on this theme and says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So there's not one human being in this world, even that little baby that you hold in your arm, that little grandbaby, that grandbaby's still a sinner. Because our hearts are inclined away from God. You don't have to teach children how to disobey, do you? How to lie, how to hit their sister. You don't have to say, hey, this is how you do violence. This is how you lie. This is how you sin. You don't have to do that. It's built in genetically because of Adam we inherit that sin nature. In Pastor Keith's book, The Search, and by the way, uh, need to get you a book, right? He gave me a book this morning. I'm so glad. He gave me his book on Revelation. I've really enjoyed reading the book Urgency, but if you don't have this book, you need to get it. But in Pastor Keith's book, The Search, he quotes Chuck Swindoll. He says, in the earliest days after creation, the sinful decision of one man became the conduit of death. Death is not limited to the inevitable end of physical existence. Death includes the curse God pronounced in Genesis and eternal separation from Him for all eternity. 
As a result of sin, we inherit that sin nature. Now, I want to explain a passage that has brought a little mystery. In verses 13 and 14, it says, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. It almost gives the impression if there's no law, then there's no judgment. But, but listen to verse 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Just because there was no law from Adam to Moses, there was still death, which is evidence that there was still sin. He goes on, he says, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. When he says that, what he's saying is, Adam had a law. God had given him a verbal law and said, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he transgressed that obvious law that God had given him. Now what has happened with every, within, every, within every human being is he gives us all a conscience, a sense of right and wrong. And so what happens is our condemnation, even between Adam and Moses, that condemnation comes. Maybe there is no law written on tablets of stone, but people know within their own hearts whether they are sinning or not. That's why when people say, what about the person that's way out somewhere remote and they never hear the gospel, do they still die and go to hell? And the answer is yes. Why? Because they have a conscience that condemns them, and if they will seek light, God will bring them light. You say, man, I, that really worries me. If it worries you, you need to go on a mission trip. Because the solution to that problem is not our philosophizing. The solution to that problem is going and reaching the nations with the gospel. And so why did God bring the law? God brought the law... To those after Moses to drive people to brokenness over their sin. See, the law is the display of God's holy splendor written down. And if we were trying to obey the law, we could not obey the law fully because the law is not just outward obedience, it's inward motivations. That's why Jesus wrote in the Sermon on the Mount, Hey, listen, if you hate your neighbor, it's as bad as if you killed him. Because sin is not just what we do. Sin are the motives, the emotions, all of the things that we have that are opposed to the law of God. Honestly, the law is a gift from God to reveal to us the conviction that the Spirit brings within, it brings without to bring us to Christ. So the law is good. The law is something that helps us to cry out for a second Adam who will rescue us from our ruin. That's why he says, who was a type of the one who was to come at the end of verse 14. So, first of all, we see the ruin of Adam's sin. Secondly, we see the rescue of our Savior. Redemption entered the world through the sacrifice of one Savior. In verse 15, it says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the gift of the grace by give the free gift by the grace of that one man Jesus abounded to many. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned that through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by, by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And you can read a lot of theologians and there's a lot of discussion about whether evolution is true or whether there was a literal Adam and Eve, let me say something. As we look at the scripture, we need to take it as written that there was a literal Adam and Eve. And some people will say, well, there's an old earth. I believe in a young earth, but there's an old earth. If you believe in an old earth, you still have to believe in a literal Adam and Eve. Why? Because sin came into the world through Adam and Eve and death through sin. And so they have to be a unique creation by God and not the result of an evolutionary process. Otherwise, it totally corrupts the gospel. And so we need to stay lined up with what the Word of God has to say. Not to say we shouldn't listen to science, but we want to make sure science is not just bias. We want to make sure we do true science, and science will prove out the Word of God. So Adam is a literal person, completed, completely created, innocent by God. He was made in the image of God. He had unhindered fellowship with God in a perfect place in the Garden of Eden. When sin entered the world through him, all humanity was distorted in its effects. We call it original sin. Original sin is not the sin that Adam and Eve did. It's the result of Adam and Eve that each one of us, it was as though we were there with Adam and Eve and we sinned with them. That he is the head of the human race and genetically it poured down into us. And so we're separated from God from birth. We need to understand that God has a plan for us, but at the same time, we have we have participated in this travesty called the sin of Adam and Eve. And many Americans, I want to tell you, it's hard to say that. You know, when I say, okay, if my grandfather was a bank robber, does that mean I'm guilty of bank robbing? No. But we're not talking about two generations away. We're talking about at the very beginning of humanity, that it distorted and changed everything within us where we are inclined towards sin and we need redemption. And so we have inherited that And that sin has been imputed to us, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. So because sin is imputed to us through this unbroken genetic connection to Adam, we must have sin's condemnation removed from us and the free gift of Christ's righteousness added to us. Verse 16 says, And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses, that's humanity's trespasses, brought justification. And so what does that mean? Let me, let me give you kind of, an, in other words, it'll be on the screen, and it's this. In Adam, we have condemnation. Eternal separation from God because of our sin. In Christ, we have justification, eternal reconciliation with God because of the cross. I want you to look at verse 17. It says, for if because of one man trespass, death reigned through one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So Christ has come to create a new humanity called the church, born-again believers, 
And as we live that new humanity, our goal is to share the gospel with others so that they might know Christ too. Otherwise, people are in Adam. Why does your neighbor do the things that they do that you, it just bothers you and it's wicked and it's wrong? Why do we look at the news and we look at sitcoms and all these things are going on in our world today? It's that the world is getting worse and worse and it's like birth pains awaiting the Redeemer who is to come to bring about his kingdom that will be good and righteous and eventually his new heaven and new earth. So how does this happen? How do we become a person who's in Christ and not a person who's in Adam. I'm going to have to use a big word, and it's the word imputation. There's a double imputation that happens at the cross. The first one is this. It's that, and let me talk, tell you what imputation is. Imputation means to take the status of one person and put it on another person in a legal and permanent way. Another person's status is credited to another person's account. So the first imputation is this, that Jesus took all of our sin on him on the cross. Why did Jesus do that? The wrath of God, God the Father, was poured out on Jesus on the cross in those six hours. And because of Jesus being the sinless Savior in those six hours, that satisfied the wrath of God toward us. That same wrath of God is mediated out toward those who are in hell that rejected Jesus in this life. You say, where does that come from? It's all over scripture, but Isaiah 53, 6 says, The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so that's the first imputation that Christ bore our sins on his body. Secondly, the second imputation is when Christ's righteousness is given to us at the moment of faith. The definition of justification is just, it, it, we say just as if I'd never sinned, but it's more than that. It's just as if I'd always been righteous. So that at faith what happens is he not only takes away the guilt of sin, he also bestows on us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now it's a positional righteousness, mean, meaning that's how God sees us. We don't actually always live righteously, but when we are declared righteous, we become a child of the king, and it helps us to know that because it helps us to act differently as we're filled with the Spirit and we begin to live righteously. 2 Corinthians 5.21 kind of sums all of it up. It says this, it says, For our sake he, that's God the Father, made him, that's Jesus the Son, to be sin who knew no sin. He was sinless. So that in him, that's Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. We must not only have our sins forgiven, we must also possess the righteousness of Jesus to be made right with God. In Pastor Keith's book, I found a quote. It says, Adam's sin was condemned, but Jesus' sacrifice freed us from sin's infection. The first Adam gave, gave us sin and all its consequences, but praise God, the second Adam gave us grace and all its blessings. So in Adam, all humanity is ruined by sin. In Christ, every believer is rescued from sin. But that brings us, third, to the reign of God's grace. Grace reigns in our life through the power of one decision. 
He goes on in verses 20 through 21. It says, now the law came to increase the trespass. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We see the reign of grace in the life of the believer who has decided to receive Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. That means you don't have to stay in Adam, you can be in Christ. Adrian Rogers was my pastor at one time. I was just, uh, I was just an intern making about six bucks an hour, putting out coffee and donuts and counting the crowds. That's what I did for a living for a while. Adrian Rogers was the real deal. He loved the Lord. He loved his wife. He loved his church. What a great model. He wrote a book about kingdom authority. And in that book, I think it really sums up what we're talking about. He said the kingdom authority, and that's the the authority we have as a child of God, as a royal child of God, where he loves us and he makes us a child of the king. He says that kingdom authority was gloriously given in the Garden of Eden. It was legally lost by humanity at the fall. And it was righteously regained by the believer on the cross and through personal faith in Jesus Christ. In his sinless humanity, Jesus paid the ransom to purchase back what Adam forfeited at the fall. The reason Jesus had to come in human flesh is he is the second Adam. And as the second Adam representing us, he died on the cross so that we could be reconciled back to God. Now, we don't experience what Adam experienced in the Garden of Eden. We will not experience that till the new heaven and new earth. But we are given the first fruits of that relationship with God. And so now we can pray and talk to God. We can read His Word and hear from God. We can worship together and give praise to God. And so what we, can, we have the foreshadowing of what's going to be in the future, and we can enjoy that personal relationship with Jesus. See, the last Adam came to undo what the first Adam did. Let me give you some statements that will be on the screen. Romans 5, 20-21 tells us that sin reigned in death. The law reveals that sin is a personal offense, a transgression against God's holy character. Romans 5, 21, 20, 21 also tells us that it is through Jesus Christ our Lord, grace reigned through righteousness leading to eternal life here on earth and forever in heaven. See, the cross is the crux of human experience. It is the crux of history. Everything goes back to the cross of Christ and what we do with Jesus. And if you're here today and you've not received Christ, I want to tell you, you are not living a full life because you are still in Adam and he wants you to be in Christ. To understand what forgiveness and and a relationship with God is. Man, if I could jump out of my skin, jump into your skin and make a decision to receive Christ, I would do it. But I can't do that. That is a decision that you must make. Charles Spurgeon, another hero of mine, said of Jesus' sacrifice, he said, the heart of Christ became like a reservoir in the midst of the mountains. All the tributary streams of iniquity and every drop of the sins of his people ran down and gathered into one vast lake as deep as hell and as shoreless as eternity. All these men, as it were, in Christ's heart, and he endured them all on the cross. 
Jesus drank the cup to the very bottom of God's wrath. That's why we cannot work for our salvation. That's why we cannot add or cooperate with God. Salvation is of God and we receive the free gift through faith. One pastor said this, In Adam there is condemnation, but in Christ there is salvation. In Adam, we receive a sin nature, but in Christ, we receive a new nature. In Adam, we were cursed. In Christ, we're blessed. In Adam, there was wrath and death, but in Christ, there is love and life. The first Adam was naked and brought shame. The second Adam died naked and bore our shame. The first Adam caused us thorns. The last Adam wore our thorns. The first Adam substituted himself for God. The last Adam was God substituting himself for sinners. The first Adam sinned at a tree. The last Adam died on a tree. The first Adam was a sinner. The last Adam died for sinners. See, our sin robbed us of genuine peace, God-ordained purpose, and intimacy with God. But when Jesus came, he cleanses the ruined he rescues the perishing. He reigns through the life of his redeemed. And so we have a choice to make. Will we either be in Adam or will we be in Christ? And it comes down to this. Jesus has done all the work necessary on the cross and through his resurrection to save us. It is a free gift as the scripture tells us. It, it is offered to each one of us. You know, if someone comes to you and they give you a gift and it's got a price tag on it and they want you to pay for it, it's not a gift. But if they paid the high price and they give it to you and they say, no strings attached, I want you to have this, it's a free gift. When Jesus died, he died so that we might have the free gift of salvation, but we must receive it. To learn more about our ministries, Check us out at jacksonfbc.com.